Uh, today's readings are Isaiah 7, 10 to 16, and Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Uh, they can be found on page 637 and 889 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. Anybody get in there? No? No turning pages? Okay. Uh, this is God's word. Isaiah 7, 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of human beings. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Matthew 1, 18-25 This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid and to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Adam. Will you pray with me a moment? God, thank you for this um, somewhat familiar passage and the chance to come into a room and consider it for a moment. We come from all different places, and we may, we may even come with the feeling like we don't belong here, or this is just a very strange experience for us today, and we're just soaking it in and not sure what our conclusion will be. Others of us come with doubt or difficulty in our lives, or struggle, suffering, sadness, um, or joy, Something about the season might really bring out a certain side of life for us this year. Wherever we find ourselves, help us to see that we're all in the same boat, that universally we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And meet us again through your grace that says, in Christ we are more loved than we ever imagined. Speak to us through that grace in this time we pray. Amen. Well, there's, you know, there's a couple miracles that we're dealing with this morning. <clears throat> you know, we talked about the virgin giving birth as a miracle. And um, you're about to witness a 15-minute sermon. <laughs> Another miracle. Um, uh, maybe. We'll see. 
You know, last night I was at my family Christmas party, and there's certain points that are just really jovial and fun, and, um, and one of them is singing around the piano. I have an aunt who can play for ear, and so she can, you can say, you know, name a song, and she just gets going, and she can switch keys and so forth, and we just, you know, we're all harmonizing and singing loudly around this piano, and, um, and a lot of it's just silly. Like, what, one of the fun things she'll do that, that makes about half the people mad and leave, and the other half, like me, stay in delight, is that she'll switch keys mid-phrase. That's how good she is. She can switch to another key in the middle of a phrase of a song, and then she'll switch again the next phrase. It's the most frustrating thing in the world if you're not ready for it. So you've got to adjust and find the new key, and then sometimes she'll do the whole thing in one key, and then the final last note she'll just do in another key. And everybody, oh, you know, everybody just tries to find it, and I just, I just love it. Just silliness, you know, that you have with family. And it reminds me of the silliness growing up of this show called the Dr. Demento Show. Am I the only one here who's ever heard of that? few people. One of the songs that I remember hearing on there was the Hal and Lulu Chorus. And in the whole song, it's so silly. The, the song is that these neighbors move in next door and their names are Hal and Lulu and they're the most annoying neighbors that you've ever had. So it's the Hal and Lulu, Hal and Lulu, Hal and Lulu. Um, after the Hallelujah Chorus, you know, things like, and Lulu never washes the kitchen floor. I mean, it's just, it's just weird. And, um, and, you know, they just moved here from Ohio. And then, um, and they say they're never going back. You know, it's just, it's so silly, right? And um, I've actually been delving into, I remember that because I'm delving into the Hallelujah Chorus a little more and fascinated this year with uh, just how it was put together and the history behind it and how Handel basically you know, got the script for it from someone who wanted him to write this music and he goes, sequesters himself for 24 days and just creates this brilliant piece of music just like that, you know, 24 days and he comes out with 259 pages with the, the initials SDG at the end, which in Latin is for soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, just a second. And so he's got this whole big, huge piece of music. He comes out with it after locking himself in a room. And it's a story. If you've listened to it, it's this big story. One of the things he did that was part of the tradition back then was the, one of the reasons he got it done so fast is he was pulling in some bits of music from earlier compositions. And we, you know, your plagiarism sensors go off. But this was just part of his practice. So he's bringing in lesser-known bits of music that you know, those other pieces of music really no one knows about anymore unless you're a music nerd. And now, but everybody knows about this Hallelujah Chorus. And these little insignificant pieces of music are written into the big one, the big significant one. At Christmas time, <clears throat> what always happens and what's always available to us is this reminder and this invitation to be little old you and me written into this big grand script, the big grand narrative of God. And we look at these stories and that's exactly what they're doing for us. They're inviting us to get written in. 
Um, and so in a lot of ways, I feel incredibly grateful to have just the chance to say a little bit about this today because here we are right in the middle of the holiday season with stories swirling around. There's vocational stories that you're, you're going to be immersed in and thinking about. There's family stories. There's the consumerism story that we're all trying to deal with and the love-hate relationship that we have with that. And there's the relational stories that are coming up to the surface this time of year. And amidst all the swirling of the stories, essentially we all have something in common with Joseph, that we have our, our, our kind of our plan and our script that we've set our sights on. Did you catch what his was in, in Matthew 1 verse 19? Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. What if Joseph would have been able to carry out that script? How different a lot of this stuff would be. Can you imagine a nativity scene without Joseph in it? Um, and just how the whole thing would have been different if his script would have gotten carried out. And there's intervention, and he's invited into the grand narrative. And that's what's happening with all of us today. We've got our own scripts. Quite frankly, in the analogy of Handel writing the Messiah, we want to be the ones who lock ourselves away and with our own genius write up the script and come out and say, I've got the plan for my life. I've got it figured out. I know how things have to go. And maybe we pray and ask God to bless it. But in, in the sense, we're the ones saying, this is my script. I want you to think about having that challenged a little bit today by the invitation of God to get written in to a grand narrative, a grand script that you can't even possibly begin to predict how it will go and how great it will be. There's three things I want to hit as well as we look at this. First of all, it's a script that's going to give you purpose. Second, it's going to give you boldness. And third, it's going to give you authenticity. Let's talk about purpose. When you're written into God's big script, it's all about having a purpose you could never dream up on your own. <clears throat> Matthew wants you to start wondering and thinking about, um, and you may or may not, depending on your, your Bible sensibilities or knowledge, but he wanted people to kind of start to wonder about what's going on here with the story of Joseph and why it's got some familiarity going on here. Because what he does is he, he starts the gospel with a genealogy. And then it ends with Joseph and Mary. And then he switches from that right into this sort of interaction with Joseph, a divine message coming to him, and what is Joseph going to do with it in response. What that does immediately is it calls you back to the grand story to the early pages of the Bible, where that happened before, where this guy named Abram, and if you're, if you're slow to go to think about that or to get there, there's actually a hint, because in the gene genealogy, it starts with Abraham. So it kind of gives you two hints there. And so if you go back and you look at Abraham, sure enough, there it is in chapter 11 of Genesis, the genealogy. Just a random listing of people and who got who and who came to who and who had who, and then all of a sudden it's this guy Abram, and then comes the words to Abraham from the divine message. And they say, I will make you into a great nation. Well, actually, it starts similar to Joseph. It's kind of like, go do this. So it starts out saying, go from your country. And then it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And then the oft-forgotten oft ending phrase of this blessing is, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Matthew wants you to 
kind of go back to that blessing and see that we're connected to that, that that's getting carried out, that there's this grand big story that's been being written for long, 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 long before you can even remember, and the genealogies can trace it out, and you can say, look, this, Matthew says, this is connected to this big story. And what was the blessing at the beginning? Yeah, I'll bless this line of Abraham, but I'm going to bless all peoples through you. It's a story that moves you out. We, this, we don't think this way and we don't dream up our own stories this way. We're actually great at creating sagas of self-absorption in our lives. And so this catches us off guard. This says, at Christmas, the big story, you know, there's a lot of cuteness and there's a lot of great things and there's a lot of things to get goosebumpy about and songs. But one of the things, it's not always that comfortable, it challenges the self-absorption of the way you're writing your script right now. And as you look at the last year and you kind of go, that was just all about me. Whoa. I'd like the next year to be different. God wants to write you into his grand narrative so that he can send you out into the world around you. So first of all, getting written in gives you purpose. <clears throat> and secondly, it's about acquiring a boldness that you can get nowhere else. In this story, <clears throat> some of the words from the angel to Joseph, the first words are, do not be afraid. If you go back to the passage, the other one we read with Ahaz, it was said to him as well, only we didn't read that part just before the reading we did, don't be afraid. You go back to Abraham and what do you find as a part of his initial dealings with God, chapter 15? Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Do not be afraid. Basically, God says to us as he writes us into the script, it's a terrifying thing to just let someone else have the pen and write and map out our life for us. He basically says, I've got your journey handled. I've got you in my hands. You can trust me. You can take this step. I've got you in my hands. And many of us... This time of year, there's many of you sitting here and you've, you've got big things in your life that are troubling. You've got mountains that you see ahead of you and you say, how am I going to get over that? You've got, some of you have things in your life that you sense is like some sense of being kind of pushed into something or led, um, but maybe you're not sure or maybe you're just saying you're not sure, but there's this inner voice of calling that's kind of saying, go this way. And you need to hear, wherever in any of those kinds of places you are, you need to hear this. The boldness that comes from the one who's going to write your script saying, I've got your journey handled. I've got you. Do not be afraid. What are you afraid of? After all, now a Christian, someone who's baptized into the grace of God, a Christian says, the greatest fear I could possibly have is already dealt with. When Jesus went in my place to experience utter separation and alienation from the Father. That's really... Spiritually speaking, if you want to talk about what should you be afraid of the most, it's that God will turn his face away from you. And Jesus enters in as the son and allows God to turn his face from him. And he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you kind of go, whoa, what is going on there? God's turned, the father's turned his face from the son for you so that you can be sure that he'll never do that to you. And that's why at the end of a lot of worship services, I don't think it's the blessing you'll hear today. We have a, a more Christmas-themed one. But the blessing usually is, 
to hear about God making his face shine upon you and that he turns his face toward you. It mentions it twice because we doubt it so much. That God's face is never going to turn from you in Christ. Do you have that kind of boldness as you face whatever thing is in front of you right now? And third, developing the authenticity that we so desperately need. <clears throat> I hope you've caught yourself doing this, or maybe recently seen it in others. It would be a close second. But we all tend to do this where we get into some new exciting turn in our journey or a chapter of our script, and, we, and, we, and we'll jump into it excitedly, and it'll be all talk about this new venture. And we love to do that at the expense of paying much attention to just what happened over here in this last chapter. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe sometimes you might even know someone who does that repeatedly. There's always jumping into a new thing because this thing over here, oh, let's just not pay attention to where all of that went and all the fragmentation and the hurt and loss and brokenness over there. Friends, I, I, would, I would say we need to be authentic. We need to, we need to kind of just look at the full picture and see who we are. Um, and jump, letting God write you into a new chapter and write you into his grand story God has figured out a way to deal with all the brokenness, fragmentation. And it comes up in this passage as we talk about, okay, the angel's talking to Joseph, and what one nugget does he give him about what the big deal's going to be through this Jesus, through this baby? Really, the, the, one big, the big nugget in here is because he will save his people from their sins. Um, another thing about looking back on the year is often seeing the mess, the fragmentation, the, the, the things where you say, boy, I did that, or you say, that was done to me, and then you're carrying the resentment and anger. The Bible has a way to deal with that. I would put it this way. If God's story that he wants to write with your life and all of us together journeying on this story, if it's like a, a great grand highway going to, say, the promised land, um, there are on-ramps, and Christmas is one of those on-ramps. Every year, you're invited to get on, and it's an on-ramp that's paved with the forgiveness of sins. That's why you can so confidently and boldly get onto it, because it offers you a, a way to be authentic. It says, acknowledge it, yes, acknowledge where you've been, acknowledge what you've done, but also know that you're met with forgiveness. That's what Jesus was all about. Enter onto the story that I'm writing and know that you're forgiven, which means you deal with it, you look at it, you say, yes, that's what, that is what it is. The Bible calls that sin. Maybe you're not real comfortable with that word. The Bible calls that sin. And yet the grace overflows onto the forgiveness is there and I'm welcomed onto this path. And guess what? It's not just for beginners who get baptized and, oh, I'm forgiven and now the rest of the time is just working really hard at being better. The whole highway is paved with forgiveness of sins. The whole journey is a journey of taking forgiveness with you every morning you wake up, taking the grace of God and applying it to your brokenness. And we need that at the end of the year as we look back, because quite frankly, a lot of times right around now we're realizing as the Christmas songs are coming on the radio, we're realizing, you know, our chestnuts aren't roasting over the open fire in my life, really, if I look at it. We need forgiveness. So getting written into God's story is about getting purpose, boldness, 
and authenticity. And every Christmas, God uses the season to write in new people, and we see the shepherds getting written in, and we see Mary and Joseph getting unexpectedly written into the story, and we see the wise men unexpectedly getting written into the story, and Elizabeth and Mary. They're all getting written in. A few years back, several years back, I was invited to a pageant at a church around this time of year. And uh, and I, I probably wasn't super excited about this, you know, just sort of some of those those, those uh, church allergies that some of you are familiar with. You know, I have some of those. And, um, but I went to this, this pageant of this church, and it was the story of Mary and Joseph, but put into modern times. I don't remember exactly what it was. Probably something like they got stuck in an airport. You know, there was no room for them in the hotels. And so they gave birth in the airport, and people brought them luggage. I don't know. But it was, <clears throat> it was, it was just one of those. It was cute. It was clever. It was fun, you know. And, but what I remember most, what really stuck with me is that um, at the end, when a pastor comes up, and, um, and, and really, in a sense, tries to seal the deal in the moment. And, and those who haven't yet made some kind of commitment to the church or to God have their chance to, to really, you know, in the delight of this moment, in the joy of un- enjoying this pageant, to, I don't know what it was, fill out a card or meet someone up front afterwards and kind of make that commitment of faith. And if you know anything about me, you know that, that rub, that's why the story sticks with me is because it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I've got certain, you know, that wasn't my style, you know, to use a, an artistic presentation like this to then try to, you know, I don't know, it kind of feels like you've got an agenda, feels like you're trying to manipulate a little bit, feels like you're trying to push the religion on people. And yeah, it was a little bit humbling this week to think about all this and to read these passages and to realize that it's actually what Christmas is all about. I may not like the style of that, but that is exactly what this is about. It's about we all come into here and we basically have, at at the most, we have two scripts for our life going on. you got the life you'd you'd like to have. You've got that script that you've been trying to write. And then you've got life as it is. You've got the actual. And at Christmas time, you're invited to look at both of those and go, wrong, wrong. The way I'm looking at both of those is through the wrong lens. Be written in to the grand story of God. Open up your life. Let him lead you through the next steps. Let him lead you into 2014. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that your grace would be true in our lives and in this church and that it would move us out into the world to give grace to others and to give ourselves to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.